Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is based on Exodus. We're going to read sections of God's Word from chapter 3 and chapter 4 as well. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out. Of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. We skip now to chapter four, and what takes place in the interim is this, that first what we see is God lay out the entire plan to to Moses of what's going to take place. Second, we see Moses ask for more signs. And so God gives him more signs that his staff is going to turn into a snake, that he sticks his hand in his cloak and pulls it out and it's healed and it's leprous and it's healed and it's leprous. And he also tells him, if all that doesn't work, you're going to turn the Nile into blood. Here's Moses's response to all that. Moses said to the Lord, 
pardon your servant, Lord. I, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. He was standing there and his hands were shaking. He raised his hands up to wipe the sweat that was pouring down off his forehead. And yet his hands were sweaty and feeling kind of clammy too. There was a knot in his stomach, but as much as he tried not to think about it, he could. He could only think about it. As Moses stood before the burning bush, he was unquestionably nervous. And yet, you might be surprised to find out, it wasn't the fact that he was standing before a bush that would not burn up. No, that's not what made him nervous. What petrified Moses was what the bush said, or rather, what the words of the great I am who was speaking to Moses from the bush had to say. God said to Moses, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God said to Moses, go, you will be my mouthpiece. You will be my ambassador to Pharaoh. Go. Moses' response, who am I? Who am I to do that? And it's a good question, really, if you think about it. It's not a bad question that Moses is asking because really he knew who he was and God knew who he was. Who was Moses? He was a failure. He was already a huge failure at leading the people of Israel. When he was about 40 years old, he tried. We should probably back up a little bit more. Moses was born. You know how the story goes. His mom put him in a basket down the Nile River. He was later adopted by the princess of Egypt. He grew up in the luxurious castle and palace of Pharaoh. He was an adopted grandson of Pharaoh. But then he grew up. And it clicked. These are not my people. And one day, he saw an Egyptian slave driver mistreating a fellow Israelite, and he thought, this is my chance. I'm going to lead the people of Israel. I'm going to help them out. They blew it. Because he was a failure at that. 
And he blew it because also, who, who was Moses? Let's be frank. He was a murderer. He was someone who took life. And because of that, he, he was on the run. And so there was Moses. Moses, now at the age of 80, standing on a mountain, quietly for the past 40 years, he had been a shepherd, watching the flocks of his father-in-law. And it's to this person that God comes and says, you, you, I'm choosing you to go to my people, to go to the millions of Egyptian or to the millions of Israelites who are stuck in Egyptian slavery and free them. It's you. I'm going to be my ambassador and speak to Pharaoh. It's because those Israelites, Moses, those Israelites, those whining, those complaining Israelites, those are my children, whom I have great compassion and great mercy for. And I'm taking them to a better place. I'm calling them out of the darkness that they're living in into a wonderful light, into a new land, into a new and spacious place. Moses, (laughs) oh my. Do you think, do you think that at any point over the past 40 years, Moses thought, oh yeah, I can't wait to get back to Egypt. I wonder what my homecoming is going to be like. No. No, Moses never thought that he would be the one to go and and free people from Egypt to be God's ambassador. Moses didn't think that. But God did. Moses never thought that he would be God's ambassador because Moses remembered who he was. He was a failure. He, he He was a sinner. Moses couldn't forget that. But God did. God did forget that. God, in his mercy, forgave that. He forgot those sins, and he was calling Moses to be his ambassador. I don't know about you, but I've never been adopted by a princess. I've never grown up in a palace. I've never stood before a burning bush that would not burn up. But I got a lot in common with Moses. And I think you do too. First of all, God has called us to be his ambassadors. We read it in our lesson for this morning that 2 Corinthians 5 says that God has committed to us the message and ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. God has, has called us to be the same thing that Moses was. Moses was called to call people out of a physical slavery. You and I, we are called to call people out of a spiritual slavery to sin. We got a lot in common with Moses. We also have in common maybe his question. Who am I? Who am I to do that? Moses' question, it it wasn't just like shock and amazement, like, oh my goodness, who am I? Like this false piety or something like that. No, it was a genuine question. A genuine question that, that we all wrestle with 
as we think about the very real fact that, that God has called us to be his ambassadors, to be his spokespeople about the goodness of our God and his kingdom. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to jump to chapter four of Exodus, and we're going to look at two of the excuses that, that Moses gives, because they're oftentimes excuses or, or reasons we give for, for not answering the call to be an ambassador. And we're going to unpack how the gospel empowers us to share the gospel message. Here's the first excuse, if you will, that, that, Moses, that Moses points out. It's really a second, but we'll look at it first. He says simply, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Just anybody but me. You guys recognize who this is? This is Greg Popovich. He is the president and the head coach of the national basketball team, the San Antonio Spurs. Greg Popovich is rather an impressive individual. He is the longest tenured coach, not just in the NBA, but also in all of major sports in North America. He has been a coach for the Spurs since 1996. The reason why he's still the coach, even though a lot has gone on over those past years, is because he's a good coach. He's widely recognized as one of the best coaches in all of NBA history. Over his first 22 years, he had a winning season. He led the Spurs to five NBA championships. He's coached the National Men's Olympic basketball team to a gold medal. He is really considered in a lot of ways a spokesperson for the NBA because he is beloved around the league. I've gotten to know Greg Popovich because of his reputation, because he's cited as a great leader, someone who does a great job building culture in his program and in his team. People like Greg Popovich, even if they're not Spurs fans. But there's something you should know about this picture. It was taken after he amassed the most wins of any head coach. It's pretty impressive, but it makes sense because he's been doing this since 1996. You should know this about this picture. People don't look very happy in this picture, neither does Coach Pop. And it's because over the past handful of seasons, the Spurs have not had a winning record. In fact, this last season, they had the second to worst record. They weren't very good. They lost a lot. Now imagine this scenario. Imagine if the team is sitting in their huddle and Co Coach Popovich, who has a wealth of experience, who's pretty good at winning, who understands the game of basketball, starts breaking it down for his team. A group of guys who many of them are as young as he has been coaching in this league. And he says to them, guys, this is the game plan. Let's go do it. And they say, nah, how about you do it? Actually, it makes a lot of sense when you explain it to us. And we know your record as well as anybody. Why don't you go into the game and, and just do it? You guys are smiling at me because there could be nothing more ridiculous than a 74-year-old man going into an NBA basketball game all by himself. And yet that ridiculous notion is tragically how we just do ministry, how we think about church very often. 
what happens is this, is that God's people huddle up, if you will. We, we gather together around God's word and sacrament, and we grow in the grace and the knowledge and the faith and the hope and the joy and the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness that we have in God. And then we say, ready, break. And then we all sit back down. And we think, you know what? There's people trained for this. There's people who have been at this a lot longer than me. I'll just send someone else. You know, an e- easy caricature or straw man for this idea is, is to simply think, you know what? Well, that's the pastor's job. The question comes down to is, how do you think about church? How do you think about the holy ministry? What's your ideas about how that works. Well, I want to share two passages with you to help us get God's idea of of how holy ministry, how the church functions. Here's the first one, Ephesians 4. We didn't read this one yet. We're going to look at one that we already did. But Ephesians 4 says this, Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And then he tells us why he gave these people. It's to equip his people for works of service. That's the point of a pastor or a church leader. It's to equip God's people to do the work of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Later on in this sermon, we're going to talk about each part doing his own work. But note this about Ephesians 4. That God gives pastors to himself for one purpose. And it's to equip people. It's to equip you and I to do works of ministry, building up the body of Christ. But then keep reading on. How is the body of Christ built up? It's by speaking. It's by speaking. It's by speaking the truth in love. Friends, oftentimes we forget that part of what God has called us to do as ambassadors. That inherent, essential in our call to be ambassadors is speaking the truth. There are a good many ways to serve in God's kingdom, and we're going to talk about those. But the call he has given to us all is to speak, to speak God's word. And that's what we hear in the second second one that we looked at. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is one that we've looked at already. I'm going to read it through actually twice here and and just note this about it. First, that it's all-inclusive, that this call to be an ambassador, it's not just for some people. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for really outgoing types. No, it, it is for us all. Christ's love compels us 
Because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to just pastors, to just church leaders. No, to us, the ministry, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's unmistakable language that the Holy Spirit uses on purpose to convey to God's people their call. We are all ambassadors. I've said it already that ambassadors' job is to simply speak. It's to speak a message, a message handed down and given from a higher authority, from a king, if you will. What is the message that we're called to speak? Let's read 2 Corinthians 5 once more. The message, friends, is not only the one that we have to tell, it is a message that is for you. It's a message that's for you and me and compels us or empowers us to go and live in that. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing any of this? For one reason. There's someone who died for you. It's your savior, Christ Jesus. And more than that, lives for you. So that in a sense, in a very real spiritual sense, we all have died. And we don't need to die to sin any longer. And now Christ's love compels us. Compels us, well, to do what? To regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Friends, you have a new you. Christ has taken away all of your sins. He has taken away your heart of stone. He has taken away any sins or baggage or guilt or shame that you had. had. He has given you a new self, a new self made new by his spirit. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. It's not a word used every single day by us. What does it mean to be reconciled? To be reconciled to God through Christ it means this. It means to take a relationship that was once hostile and make it 180 opposite. A friendly, loving, wonderful relationship. That in Christ Jesus, God took that relationship with us, God and sinners, at odds, and he has made us friends. He has made us his very own. He did that by not counting our sins against us. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
cherry on top of it all. He's not only given us forgiveness of sins, he's called us to speak that message to others. He's doing this, he could have done it himself, but he's doing it through us. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What does that all mean? It means share this, that God took him, Christ Jesus, who was completely without sin, and he made him sin in the flesh for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is who you are. You are the very rightness of God, the very purity and holiness of God. Though you are a sinner, you are a saint. That is who God has made you to be. And so be who you are. Be an ambassador. Be someone who speaks that message, the message of reconciliation to the world. God could have chose someone else, but he didn't. He chose us to be that. It's Moses' first excuse. Let's talk about his second one. First, a story that maybe illustrates the point. I once heard about this church, and I think there's more than one church that does this. Maybe you think it's a little cheesy, maybe a little corny, but on the exit, above the exit of the church, they had printed the words, you are now entering your mission field. That's a good idea. I'm not faulting the idea. It conveys to all of us what happens as we leave these doors, after we leave the huddle, that we are stepping into the very place that God has called us to carry out the message of reconciliation. You think about that, as much as we know that, as much as we, we live out that, how often do we feel, well, I'm not really equipped for that? Moses' second excuse that he's driving at when he says to God, uh, pardon your servant, Lord. <laughs> I'm not good at talking. I know you want me to talk, but I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. His excuse is, is one we can relate to. Lord, you want me to speak? I don't think I'm really gifted for that. But what Moses forgot is this, that the Lord equips those he calls, always, completely. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 drives at this idea using familiar language that we read in 2 Corinthians, this picture of the body metaphor. The Apostle Paul here, talking to the Corinthian Christians, he said, look, there are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. And what is the common good? After Paul goes on to list just some of the gifts, he explains what the common good is. It's again, it's building up the body of Christ. All these are the work of the one in the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines, just as a body. The one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. With Christ, the 
old is gone, the new is here. Call it, again, a cherry on top of the message that you have received full forgiveness and the message that you have received in Christ righteousness, that you have received a holy call to be his ambassador. He gives you gifts. Each and every one of you gifts to carry out that calling. The gifts are varied and they are many. For some, it might be the skill of, of telling a whole room full of people about Jesus. For others, your gift might be that you're very good at sitting down one-on-one -on -one and connecting to somebody in order to connect them to Christ. Maybe your skill is, is one that a lot of people see. We just see you and see you serving God a lot. But maybe your gift is not that. I know for a fact that there are a good many of you who have, who have gifts and who put those gifts to good and faithful use. And the truth is, not many people see it happen. In fact, no one really knows how much you do in terms of administration and organization to just make ministry happen. There are so many different gifts. Some, some people have really good gifts of, of sitting down and, and connecting to kids some people can lead adults. And some people who can do one maybe can't do the other. There's such a variety of gifts. And, and here's the really good news, that God uses all of them. And if we're putting both parts, both excuses that, that Moses gave together, it's just this, that I want you to know that you have gifts to do ministry. Don't use the gifts that you have in order to not speak the message that God has given you as an ambassador. The gifts all support one another so that the same body is built up. We rejoice in that. And we rejoice in that, unlike Moses. You know how Moses responded after God told him that, well, he was called to do this? Well, he uses this excuse that, wow, I've never been very elegant. I'm not, I'm not really good at talking. And what you see in that is that Moses misses the mercy of God. That it is an act of God's mercy to take someone who is a failure, to take someone who is a sinner and call them to do this. And so God preaches the law to Moses. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you to speak and will teach you what to say. You think about the excuses that we use, that I'm not this or I'm not that, or I'm a little too much of this or not enough of that. What we're doing is insulting the one who gave us the very gifts to carry out his ministry. It is the Lord who has gifted you the way he has for the calling that he has given to us all. But then the Lord comes through. He comes through with not only encouragement and a gospel anecdote, if you will, but a solution to this problem. He says, I'm giving you your brother. The Lord's anger burned against Moses when Moses made these tired excuses. But the Lord said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. God gave Moses Aaron. 
summarize a little bit of biblical history, Aaron ended up being a priest, a priest for Israel, someone who definitely did help out Moses in the way that God said he would, to speak God's word, to proclaim God's gospel and his law to the Israelite people. But as you read through the history of Israel and Moses and Aaron, you notice a curious thing. Moses is not a bumbling, blabbering person who can never get a word out. Quite the opposite. Moses is a strong leader, a strong leader who steps up to the call that God has given to him and on very, very many occasions speaks and speaks well to God's people. So what of Aaron? What you see from Aaron in his relationship to Moses is that the two are always helping each other out. They're always encouraging one another. At one point, Aaron literally lifts up the prophet's hands so he can do his job. Two examples for for gifts in the church and doing ministry. This is the first one. Moses and Aaron. Who can you be an Aaron to? Who can you be a Moses to? Who can you give opportunities to use their gifts? Who can you encourage to use their gifts in the body of Christ? That's the first example. Can I give you the second example of of mutual gifts working in synergy with one another to build up the body of Christ? It's here. It's you. It is all of you. And I'm noting it now, especially this time of year, because there's something that happens every single summer since this church has been around. We've had a science camp. And at science camp, our our goal is really simple. It is to engage families, particularly kids in our communities, and serve them by having a fun science camp that centers around science and, and learning new things, but ultimately connects science to Christ and how Christ and science aren't, aren't these separate things. They're, they're gifts from God. It's to connect people to the gospel. That, that's really why we do it. But there's, a, there's maybe another reason why we do science camp. And it's, it's in some ways tangential, but in some ways not. And it's something that I enjoy almost most of all at science camp. It's getting to just watch Just watch the body of Christ work. There are so many different people who are involved in so many different ways to make this week-long camp happen. And so many different people use so many different gifts in order to make it happen. And for one week, some of us even take off work in order to come and do this all the time. And the body of Christ just functions. It just happens together. And it's special. But it's really not any different than what's really going on every single week of every single year. This group of people get it. They understand their gifts. They understand the call that God has given to us all. Certainly, are there moments, are there moments where we make excuses and, and we wonder, who am I to even do this? Yes. But that's natural. That happens for anyone who realizes that it is only out of God's mercy that we get to do this at all, that he uses failures, that he uses sinners 
to get to be a part of his ministry. Christian friends, God's grace has been given to you and it is not in vain. This is one passage that we haven't looked at. It's 2 Corinthians 6. There, Paul encourages, he says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And his reasoning is, is because things are urgent. Now, today is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Friends, thank you and praise God for getting after it. It's natural. It's natural to be like Moses and wonder, who am I? But never forget that the anecdote, the opposite to that question of who am I to do this, is that I am who I am is with you. The great I am, the God of all, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who appeared to Moses in a burning bush, is the same God who's burning in your hearts. The same God who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It is the great I am who has committed to you the message of reconciliation. It's the great I am who took you who is full of sin and made you full of righteousness. It's the great I am who has equipped you for this work. Never forget, the great I am is with you. so easy to remember just our sins, but the great I am forgot them. Amen.